beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to be here with Jane Thompson to talk about her near-death experience. Please check out the links below for the Near-Death Experience Summit that's going to occur this summer. I will give you more and more information about that, as well as my book, Angels in the OR, and I will provide Jane's links below, too. She has some free giveaways about spirit signs and things that four ways that spirit really tries to connect with us. And I, I want to just begin by talking about where you are and what you're doing these years after the near-death experience. But welcome to my program. Hi, thank you for having me, Trisha. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad it's finally coming together. Yes, and during Women's History Month, I'm trying to have a lot of women on my channel, so it's perfect. <laughs> perfect timing. Yes. Um, it's been almost 11 years since my NDE, and I my career has shifted completely. I do healing work now, intuitive energy work, and I'm a psychic medium, and I'm a mom now. So my life has just changed completely. It's more filled with joy, and I feel love more deeply, and it's just, um, it's very fulfilling. It's a very fulfilling and happy place that I'm at right now. Yeah, and I love that uh, giveaway that you have about the ways that spirit tries to connect with us. And, and people probably ask you this a lot. Is this, did you just answer common questions that people ask you? Well, a lot of times people will say, I want to be able to do what you do. And I want to be able to give information anytime by myself. And I'll say you do get a lot of the information from maybe not as detailed, but I wanted people to know the ways that spirit does commonly communicate with all of us, because once you have that awareness and you're tapped into it, you can understand it better and, and you can feel it more. It feels more personal that way. Yeah, there's a lot of movements of mediums and psychics trying to share with others uh, just basically the, the skills that they use, because a lot of times people do have intuition and they just they brush it aside and think, no, that doesn't mean anything. And they're just not paying attention to what's being given. And so that's, that's great. I think we were all born with it, but depending on the culture and the home that we were raised in, it either gets muted or it gets expanded. So we do all have it in us. It just over the years might diminish a little bit. Yeah, and these near-death experiences are great awakenings and openings, I think, to so many different insights. And I love what you said to me in an email about allowing near-death experiencers to process the after effects. And, you know, I have verifiable details, I think you do too, in your near-death experience, but you seem to be like an advocate for those who maybe don't have verified details or tact because they're trying to make money, you know, like doing healing work and things like that. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, a lot of my work is spiritual gift coaching for end ears and people who have had really any type of spiritually transformative experience or awakening. And because I had such a difficult time integrating many of my after effects, effects, and I know other NDEers have as well. It's really a passion of mine, and I really feel like it's part of my path and my calling to be here to help people that are going through that, because when I went through it, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have what you're doing, and so it was very isolating, and, and we really didn't have anybody to talk to, and so providing a safe place for people to talk candidly about their after effects is so important because to um, kind of the rest of the world, the after effects, some of them can be very uh, strange and you, you feel weird about talking to other people about them. So I'm a huge advocate to help ears have a safe spot to talk about it and the more I do this the more I see some common threads of what keeps people from talking about it and keeps people from integrating these after effects um, and I like to talk about these hurdles or these roadblocks because these are people who have 
seen something incredible. And we are light workers in some form or another. And we are living here in such a dark time. We need as many people spreading that light and spreading that love as possible. And when someone who has traumatic after effects is just staying at home, they don't have the ability to go out and share that light. So I like to talk to them and give them the safe space to talk. And I've noticed a couple of areas um, where they feel almost less than sometimes is if they don't have proof. Um, or that their NDE can't be verified. You and I were hooked up to heart monitors when our NDEs happened. But of the millions of people who have had NDEs, how many were really hooked up to heart monitors at the time? And so sometimes when they feel that they can't verify it, it creates a stuck point for them. And so I want people to know that you aren't less than just because it can't be verified. And I still believe you even if you can't verify it. So it's important for people to know that. And then there are the certain levels of NDEs and some people may not have gone into the light or may not have had a, light review, a life review. It doesn't matter which level you did or didn't reach, you still have changed and you have something to offer the world because of that. Those are such great points. I loved what you said about the different levels and people feeling less than. I think early on, because mine was considered a profound near-death experience, you know, and, and uh, the indie or our website, I think some people who just had one little glimpse or just an out-of-body experience felt like, oh, well, it was just a, a small little experience. It still opens you up to the reality, the spiritual reality that is beyond this body and it still just kind of blows up in your mind even if you just step out of form for a minute certainly you know you're you're part of the conversation and i think bringing everyone into that conversation is beautiful and and what i've learned from interviewing people is i don't have every piece of a near death experience everyone's is unique and as i listen to someone else's i might go into meditation and then later experience it so you just might be more sensitive after you've had one and if you listen to other people's, you might kind of understand where they're coming from on a deeper level. That's exactly right. And um, we do, when we hear other people talk, if we are open anyway, it can increase or develop other sensitivities, just bringing that into our awareness or being able to integrate an after effect as someone is speaking about it. And so it's helpful for all of us to get that dialogue going. Yeah, yeah, I'm so grateful to all the people who do that work to really connect people. And that's wonderful that you're offering that support because I know there are some people who waited 20 years to even talk about their near-death experience at all because they felt so isolated. And certainly now we're so much more connected and there's so many ways to talk through social media and, and through people like you and people like me and, you know, people get questions answered through organizations like IANS and University of Heaven and many different places. There's a lot of information out there. So I always encourage people to look where it feels right to you and, and talk to the people who you have that good heart feeling about um, because we will resonate with some information better than others and certain healers or other NPEers better than others. And, and that can change and unfold over time. Go with who feels right to you. That's what's the most important. And whatever level that we each reached, it's exactly what we were supposed to experience. And to really embrace that knowledge and know that I got exactly what I was supposed to get and you got exactly what you were supposed to get. It's not, it's not a competition. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a collective experience that we're sharing and that we're bringing to others and bringing, as you said, more light to this world. And it's just, it is a, a beautiful experience. And I would like to jump in now and just let you tell your story because I like to sit back and hear them. I just love hearing these near-death experience stories. So I don't like people to set too much of the scene about the physical, but just a little bit about what was going on physically and then just kind of jump into the 
afterlife experience? Okay. Um, my NDE was on August 22nd, 2008. It was at 1.20 p.m. and I was in the hospital. I was um, in the emergency room. I'd been taken in early that morning. I had a really high fever of 106 degrees. And I had a kidney stone that got stuck in my ureter. And so everything that the kidneys typically filter out and you get rid of was all flushing back into my body and my blood and my internal organs had all become infected and I had gone into septic shock and I was waiting for the doctors and everybody to come in to say what the next step would be and I was, I was burning up the fever was intense and it had been going on for a while and I was in an excruciating amount of pain and I was lying on the burning and even though i was burning up hot i was still very cold so i was asking for the heated blankets but they weren't giving me any relief and then all of a sudden i closed my eyes and i couldn't open them i couldn't have willed them open and i started convulsing and i could feel my whole body just in a real gentle convulsion and i remember feeling the veins in my head, like almost like they were just gonna pop right out of my head. And right at that moment, it just went very internal. And I uh, disconnected from everything that was in the external physical world and everything that was going on around me. And I started traveling through my body. And I could see the systems of my body and I could see the cells it was almost just like I was traveling through this movie that I was watching. I was just observing, taking it all in. And at that point, I remember having the thought of, oh my gosh, I'm dying. And then I immediately thought, no, that's, that's dramatic. I'm not dying. But then I went back to watching, and then I had the thought again of, I'm dying. This is what it feels like to die. And then right at that moment, I popped out of my body, and I was at the top of the ceiling looking down, and it took me a minute to figure out what was going on because I could feel that I was up here, but I could see my body down there, and I could see everyone around me, and somehow I felt connected, but I also felt disconnected at the same time. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean, you know, by that. Did you... You know, I felt excited because I was agnostic. What did you, did you remember feeling anything beyond just, uh, just that? I just felt very peaceful. Oh. I wasn't scared. Somehow I knew that my physical body was no longer working and that I wasn't a part of it anymore. But I was peaceful about it. I wasn't worried and I wasn't scared and I wasn't thinking about what will come after this. I was just observing. It was very non-judgmental. It was just kind of taking it all in. And then it did take me a minute to reorient. So, oh, I'm no longer in that body anymore. That I really did die. And, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Were you, um, when you were above, did you see the doctors working or did you see like what was going on? Were you observing those little moments? I was observing those moments and I saw um, nurses scurrying around and a couple of family members were in the room and I saw them and I remember really looking at the equipment, um, thinking that it looked really foreign to me. I couldn't relate to the equipment at all, if that makes any kind of oh, sense. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I've never thought that, but now that I think about it, like I remember the heart monitor going, you know, making that sound and it did look very weird. The people I could connect with, but the machines were, you know, shiny and weird and boxy. <laughs> right. Even though you knew what they were, you were looking at them going, um, just, yeah, just yeah. Was even the next morning when I woke up and I was hooked up to everything. And I remember looking at the furniture and at the bed, at the hospital bed and thinking, just felt weird to me. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Man-made, maybe. Anything man-made, just I didn't feel connected to 
with all. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating. So after that um, moment, what happened? So I, um, after I kind of figured out what was going on, then I started very slowly, very gently floating upwards, and I was still backwards. I was still facing down. And it was, um, it was just very gentle and um, just observing everything. And then the next part that really sticks out for me is I was looking down at the entire hospital, but I didn't see a roof and I didn't see a building. Somehow I knew that was the hospital. And I saw all these little balls of energy just kind of buzzing around and bouncing around. And um, I thought to myself, everybody's just kind of running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. <laughs> it just seemed wild to me. And I just thought, huh, because from this new perspective that I had, it didn't seem like it needed to be that way. Maybe I couldn't relate to it. And so I made that observation and then I saw all the energies buzzing around, which I now believe were souls. Um, we're all connected by a thin iridescent line. And it would be the way if you caught a spider web just right in the sunlight, how you can see it. That's exactly what the line looked like. And I just felt very peaceful about it. I kept floating backwards, <laughs> excuse me, and then for a split second, I felt like maybe I was in space, and I was looking down at the planet, but I don't remember that very well, and then the next thing I know, I was in the tunnel, and I went in backwards, and it was very fast, and it was very black, it was very dark, but it was not scary at all. I was excited. It was fun, and it was exhilarating. And then I felt almost like I got dumped out of the tunnel into the light. <laughs> and I, I still tear up when I talk about it, when I feel it. Um, and I had almost a little bit of a thought of, oh, this is it. This is what they talk about. This is it. And it took me a second to adjust. But then when I did, I just covered me all around me and I could feel the peacefulness of it. And, and had you felt anything like it before? Because this is, you know, I had nothing to compare it to. And I think a lot of people feel that way. There is nothing to compare it to. We don't have the vocabulary for it and we don't have the experience of it to make that comparison. So it is hard to give it the words that would do it justice. Yeah. It's just, ex just extreme peacefulness, 100% peaceful. And what really stood out for me was the unconditional love of being in the light. And it was, it just felt like it didn't matter anything that I had done or who I was or who I wasn't. It was just, purest form of love that I have ever experienced right through my soul. It just took my soul over and it felt amazing. And um, I felt it was very replenishing. I felt like any trauma or any wounds that I had were just being healed and filled in. And the temperature, even though I don't think there's a temperature in the light, it to explain it is, it just felt like the perfect amount of warmth. It's just very healing, and it was it was incredible, the most incredible experience I've ever had. I know. I, I try to describe it like flying and being hugged at the same time. It's like total freedom and total safety, total love. One thing that I just recently, I mean, like just a few days ago, let sink into my head about this experience is I I talk about how much love I felt. But then it hit me, I was safe to love. In my whole life, I had never been safe to love the way that I, so that love met me and I met it with my own love. And I was like, finally, a being that is safe to love fully because so many 
people, you know, parents and friends and romantic partners were not safe to love. Yes, and that's, that gave me the chills all over as you were saying that, because you're right, it is safe to love because you are loved so purely and so unconditionally. And that is probably why that experience of feeling that love is so full, because we were able to, it was going both ways. And yeah. That added to the fullness of it. Like this coming home, you know, something that we've always known that we're loved, but to encounter it, it, it is mind-blowing and just life-changing. And I, I wondered why I keep coming back to it. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go a little deeper with it you know, and, and see what that is. And, and that's where it hit me. And yeah, so it sounds like you have that same experience of just total safety and, and total bliss total bliss and total comfort and where you could just almost just exhale and just rest in it. Yeah. So how long do you, or your time is relative, of course, but do you feel like you were able to stay there for a while or, or was it ended too quickly? It was way too quick for me. <laughs> I, um, so just as I was taking all of this in and really enjoying it, I started to feel like other people or souls were starting to come toward me and right at that moment I heard that inaudible voice say you need to go back and I went I was startled I, I said no I protested I said no no I don't want to go back and then the inaudible voice again you need to go back and I protested no 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 please I don't want to go back and right then as I was protesting, I felt almost like I was gently nudged back into the tunnel. I don't remember much of that. It was very fast, back and through the top of, through my crown, into my body. I felt maybe a split second of the pain return. And then I don't remember anything until pre-op later, much later that evening. And I kind of want to jump around in time. And I was asked this question, and it would be cool to hear you answer it. Sometimes people want to know who we were before the near-death experience and who we were after. So if you could set a little scene of that, I would be really curious. So before my NDE, I was all about the material world and the external. Um, I sold real estate. And I made good money doing it, and I liked making money, and I liked spending money, um, and I really enjoyed working, um, and I worked a lot. I worked seven days a week from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, and I didn't mind. I was okay with it, and I had a very serious boyfriend, and he was the same way where work was first, and so the relationship was okay in that way because we just gave each other that space. And then any spare time we spent together. Um, but I did a lot of happy hours, sushi happy hour was kind of my thing. Um, and I had a lot of friends, and I had my boyfriend, but I didn't have really heart-centered relationships. It was always around something else because I didn't know how to do how to do it any other way. I had a lot of trauma growing up. And that translated into the relationships in my life. And um, I think I had myself convinced that everything was okay because I didn't know how to make it better. And then after my NDE and after experiencing that pure unconditional love and that healing that I received, I did a 180. And I couldn't stomach the business world anymore it was just I just couldn't do it fascinating why like you know like I didn't have the opportunity since I was in college to ever try it <laughs> but you were in it and so how did it feel different and weird it was just it didn't feel the interactions didn't feel genuine to me anymore mm -hmm. and this was during a time when the market was seriously crashing, the real estate market, seriously crashing. And so to 
make money selling real estate, you had to be, you had to have a little bit of shadiness mm. to your interactions. And I never did anything that was unethical. There was still a sense of almost um, manipulation, to be honest, to make things happen. And I just couldn't do that anymore. It just felt so wrong to me. And um, a lot of real estate, even though we all need homes to live in and we need beds to sleep in, there are a lot of really external things about it as well. With status based on what price point you're in and things like that. And it hurt me to see a lot of that. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was painful for me. Interesting. Interesting. Because it did it not feel like you were contributing something helpful or good to the world through doing it? Or what was it just cold, the environment? No, it was, I still felt like I was doing something helpful because people do need a place to live. And I was more tuned in to people where I could help them tap into finding a space, a home that is more loving and supportive. And so it did feel helpful in that sense, finding a, a really happy place for people to live. Um, it was just everything outside of those interactions that was helpful. And um, just the process of it all. And now I can deal with it much better than I could back then. Coming off fresh of my MBE, I was just way too sensitive to be able to sit at a closing table and talk about math and numbers. It felt very invasive to be fresh off the MBE. And then, you know, forgive me if I'm prying too much, but did your friendships and romantic relationships change a lot because of, of the near-death experience? A lot. And um, it started because I tried to talk to a couple of people that I was very close to prior to my NDE about what happened, and they couldn't hear it. And um, part of it was because two of them were standing there when it happened, and that was traumatic for them to see me die right in front of them. And so there was a piece where let's not go there. Everything's fine now, so let's just not go there. And then I made the mistake of trying to talk to my surgeon about it. And he laughed, literally laughed at me. And so I just shut down and I didn't talk about it. And I tried to fake it for a while to keep everything going. But I was not into happy hours really so much anymore. I still like to have fun and laugh, but the drinking I wasn't into. And um, so some of the friendships really changed and we drifted apart because we weren't into the same things anymore. And there were no arguments or anything like that. It was just, it wasn't working anymore for anybody. So there was a lot of drifting away from each other. Did you gravitate to spiritual people eventually? Did you find that that helped or did you have to find books and find your own way? It took me a while to figure, there was a period of isolation where I really needed to figure out what had happened to me. I didn't even know that it was a near-death experience, even though that seems obvious now. I didn't know what had happened and I needed to process some and integrate some on my own before I could branch out. And now I have an awesome spiritual tribe and um, we're all we all think different things or might have different ways of doing things, but we're open. And so we can have really good conversations. And so it took a while to get that group of people. But now that I have it, it's wonderful. Interesting. And did you discover meditation or did you discover some sort of practice that helped you early on or? Early on, it was meditation, just a um, mantra, silent mantra meditation. And that helped me a lot to center back up. And that was a very important part of bringing it all together. And then I started meeting other mediums and 
um, healers who started teaching me about their experiences, and that helped me bring every, all the pieces started coming into place. Oh, so yeah, were you, I think we talked once before the recording and you said you're a bit of a reluctant medium. Is that, did I remember that correctly? <laughs> Not even just a bit of a reluctant medium, right? It's, it, it goes in phases. Um, mediumship was the most difficult after effect for me to integrate. Um, and I still, I'm still reluctant about it. And um, I have found that as I do readings, there's so, I'm grateful that there are TV shows with mediums on them because that brings it more into the mainstream and can help to normalize it. Kind of the downside of that though is I think a lot of people are really into the wow factor of mediumship. And I'm really into the healing factor of mediumship. And so there can be a little bit of dissonance that way. And that's where I start to go. That's where my reluctance really comes in. Interesting. Yeah. And I think people don't realize how much editing probably goes into those shows. They're not getting one little insight after another. You know, that's why you have an hour reading is you might get a few great insights, but there's a lot of, it's specific to that person and it takes that person a while to process it and go, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. These shoes next to my bed, those are my mom's shoes or, you know, like make those connections. Right. It's probably a 60 plus minute cold reading. I really do believe that they're doing cold readings. Um, but during that 60 minutes, a lot is taking place that you don't see in the five minutes of editing. And yeah. so that's important for people to understand. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so when did you first start giving readings or you're going, okay, you know, I'm reluctant, but I'm going to give this a shot? I've had a lot of difficulty with it. And I was very fortunate to have two good friends. And one of them I have known since we were, I think since we were in the sixth grade. So we knew each other for a very long time. She was very supportive of it and very interested in it. And she could see me shine away and she would pull me out of it. She'd say, no, I want you to give me a reading right now. And then if we would be around other people at her home, I remember one Christmas, she had people over and she told people, Jane's a medium and she can do a reading. And I was like, no, but she really pulled me out of it. And I did some readings for friends and I could see the healing mm. and I could see that it was profound healing and relationships were being healed and wounds were being healed and traumas were being healed in a way that I had never witnessed before and that's when I saw okay that's that is the amazing part I know this through you know my own connection I'm, I'm surprised you can have a difficulty with someone in life and they can be your cheerleader on the other side and that's the most amazing experience <laughs> like and that that huge change and that's hard for people to wrap their heads around sometimes especially if the relationship was really abusive or especially difficult but they do once they kind of process that, they can really find deep peace from that. Yeah, yeah. And the person I'm thinking of was not necessarily abusive to me, but we just had a difficult relationship. And and I'm really kind of surprised, you know, just, I mean, like, if you knew all the circumstances to what she's cheering me on, most people probably in my family and, you know, in, in different places would go, no way, she is not. But I know it on this soul level, like I feel it. It's, you know, it's about justice and writing things and getting things in the open and healing. And she sees that on the other side and she sees how important it is to heal and to heal families and to, to talk openly. That's exactly right. And they still keep their personalities in a lot of ways. So you can still relate. Um, but I don't look at death the same way as I did before because I feel like those relationships are better now. Yeah. I enjoy a lot of the relationships more now because they, there is a lot of that ego and that human stuff just fades away. And so you get healed and then when you are a medium and you can fully experience, even 
I should back up and say even you don't have to be a medium to fully experience loved ones who are on the other side. Um, but you can enjoy the relationship more and that's a great way of describing it. Once they've healed on the other side, then they are back to their essence self, almost kind of, kind of like their childlike self. If they had a sense of humor and a quirkiness and a, you know, like a excitability, then they're just that ball of excitability and joy. And it's all the human sickness and pain and judgment and walls and trying to be this that's stripped away. And they're that essence. And that essence is, is beautiful and it's connected to God. All the masks disappear. And um, even though we still carry a lot of that with us, it still completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah, it's like opening up doors into a greater expansiveness. It's like we, we come here and we play roles and we close all these doors and okay, I'm in this house with these doors playing this role and at this work, you know, playing this role. And then they go there and they're just flying around and they're just, you know, so free and so loved and so healed. And what a ref it's like the, when I was in theater in school in high school. And I remember when you left the wing and that's the way I see it. We're just here for this play and then they leave, you know, off, off stage left. And then they've got the whole universe, you know, to explore. Yeah. They're everywhere at that point. Yeah. yeah. And we do, as we're here in our bodies, no matter how much time we spend in a spiritual practice, trying to strip away masks or ego, we're still here in these bodies and, and we're just not going to be perfect. And that's, you know, so many of us are walking around in ego and we don't know what we're here for. And that is the cause of so much of the confusion that goes on. And so much of the hate that's going on because we're all, everybody's just walking around in the fog of ego. And just, I have no other way to describe it other than everybody's so confused that we all kind of act out on each other. And so you don't have that once you pass over. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I, I often see it as like some egos are more agitated than others. So if you just touch them the wrong way or brush up against them the wrong way, then they're really excitable and they're really paranoid or they're really, you know, like deeply wounded just by the littlest brush. And then other egos, you know, you can punch them and they're like, all right, I'm going to forgive you this time. <laughs> like they're a little, a little more balanced, but don't punch me again. <laughs> right. And I think that's all probably, that probably ebbs and flows with everyone, depending on where you're at with your own evolution. Um, but yes, ego is interesting. It's yeah. interesting. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. And meditation helps me with mine. And, you know, I, I can't say enough about meditation, but prayer and meditation is the one thing that will shift me back into that really the dis disconnection with being over-identified as Trisha and Trisha's problems or, or being in the act of serving other people. That's, you know, another way that completely disconnects me from, from ego when I'm in motion. Yes, absolutely. Meditation helps to quiet that ego talk that goes on in our heads and um, being in service and, and being in that vibration of love and checking our motivation for that, that will, that sh helps us to shed ego more and more. Yeah, and it's interesting that we're, we're talking about that because a lot of people have this perception that if you have a near-death experience, then, you know, you should just have this perfect walk or you should never um, flounder or never, you know, fall into ego. And, and I think, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote my book was to show that, no, you can still be a young kid who's still struggling with life and then you're thrown back into this body and you you know you go through enough experiences and you start identifying with the body again you never forget that near-death experience and that wisdom ever but you still struggle as a human being and i think too many stories were told and just that before and after instead of just like humanizing it and saying hey i had this profound experience but i'm a flawed human being and here's all my flaws you know <laughs> 
that's um, that is something important for people to know that even though people have had NDEs or other events like that, don't expect them to be perfect because we are still in this human body and we're still here to learn and we're still here to continue to heal our wounds even on deeper levels. And um, I was talking to a, a woman, she was doing energy work for me and um, we were talking about how sometimes people will treat you almost like you're a guru and that's dangerous because we might know a few more things, but we're certainly not gurus. But then if they treat you that way and you do one thing that's like a little bit off center, it's the ultimate fall from grace. And it's a really tough position to be put in. And it's tough for the other person too, because they're looking for the perfection that we experience during our NDEs. But we can't deliver that because we're still having this human experience. And it is difficult. And I've had people tell me before, if something goes wrong in my own personal life, they'll say, well, you're psychic. Didn't you see that coming? Oh, no. I know. The <laughs> I, and I go, well, I might be psychic, but I don't. If I need psychic wisdom, I usually don't come to myself for the really big stuff. Because wishful thinking and so many other things can come into play. Um, and it's important for people to know that too. But I have had people say that to me before and I just go, really? Yeah. Just give me a minute to be imperfect. I'm so far from perfect. <laughs> right, right. And I think with that too, emotions can be very large and strong. And if you're in fear or you're in anger or you're, you know, you're triggered from something from your childhood, you can't access intuition to accurately figure out what's going on. There isn't, I mean, you can maybe weeks later, but then the moment's already gone. <laughs> That's exactly right. Cause I still have a lot of processing to do. And yeah, when we're in the thick of whatever we're needing to heal personally, um, yeah, you can't, that's a perfect way of saying it. You really can't access clear intuition at that point. You need a little bit of space to do that. Yeah. And we're imperfect beings. And it, you know, I felt almost shamed that, you know, I have this huge experience two years after my near death experience where I went to a foreign country and was sexually assaulted. And I think people look at that like, oh, you manifested something terrible or, oh, you, you know, you didn't have better intuition about that. What you know, let's just take away all judgment and just say that probably every woman who goes to teach in a foreign country and isn't a part of that country isn't going to receive the same justice as a citizen of that country. So you can imagine someone who's an illegal from another country here in the States who's raped, is she going to get justice? I mean, even American women have trouble getting justice, you know, many times after a sexual assault. So let's just look at it as a cultural manifestation, first of all, and not blame the people walking through the cultural manifestation and collective consciousness of what others have created. And then, and then go, well, how can, how can this information be used to help other people? So I decided to be very real and always tell students, think about what country you're going to, you know, it might've brought them down a little, but I was like, you know, just give them that information so that they have it when they travel. But but yeah, we, people can be shamed for having intuition and not for seeing something bad that happens. That's exactly right. And um, the thing of it is, is no matter how you look at it, whether you or myself or someone else, whether or not we did manifest something or create something in our own lives, where's the compassion? Still, yeah. still hurts. And compassion is everything yeah yeah and these are common problems you know around the world you know people lose people people suffer trauma these are it's not uncommon that people suffer trauma and I that was one of my biggest lessons is what I went through not at all in common after working with students and looking around at this world and it it was eye-opening and I think that compassion is the greatest gift. I mean, sometimes just giving someone a word of kindness and a word of hope 
and some compassion was the first step in allowing them to begin to heal. And I really, I pay attention very closely to the words I've always said to students because I've been sensitive after my near-death experience. And when someone says that something negative to me, like, oh, that'll never happen, or, you know, they, just those trite things that people throw out, I feel disheartened. It's like, why not give someone a little hope? Why not give them a little bit of a nudge into a better reality? Yes. And um, if it excites you and kind of sets a spark, maybe it is meant for you. And, and that's something to pursue and, and to follow that um, piece. But yes, it's, I have noticed during my human times when I'm less compassionate towards others, it's because I'm not being compassionate with myself. And that's kind of the tech point. If, if I feel myself being judgmental or lacking compassion, I have to look inside and go, how tough am I being on myself right now? Because what's going on internally is what spills out. And um, I think that's a good uh, process to have when you're noticing different spaces that you're at in your life. Yeah, it makes me chuckle to the idea that whatever I'm irritated at about other people, you know, like, oh, that person is negative. Oh, this person is not open to this or open to that. Well, generally, I'm being negative about something or I need to be more open to goodness or I need to heal something. It may not be exactly the same thing, but it's still like a nudge to look inside because what is it? You, you got it. You've spot it <laughs> or spot it. You've got it. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> that idea yeah and the mirror goes up right that's the that's the thing about oneness is that mirror and that's exactly right if there's something that's really bugging us about someone else chances are we're doing the same exact thing that we don't like that they're doing you said something really interesting though too i want to come back to about near-death experiencers sometimes people think of them as a guru or you know if you're really in that connected space and you're so connected with god and you want to bring this light into the world then yeah people can pick up on that energy and that love and that unconditional love is very i think i was talking with jane contra about this and i hope i get to interview her but you know she's she's done a lot for the near-death experience community and she's quite a bit older and she was saying it's very sexy you know, this unconditional love and so no matter who you are you know you're bringing in love you're making people feel good and i'm sure that there's a lot of egos that are like "Ooh, i have this power you know to make others feel good instead of realizing you're giving it away it's not about you or your form it's about give it give it give it and let it go Right. And we're kind of, especially when we're working um, and we're fully channeling that light, um, we have to know that we are just the middleman. Um, and that keeps us out of feeling like we're off, more awesome than maybe we are. <laughs> there is people, that feels good to be around. And so it is, I like, it's kind of sexy. It is kind of sexy. And it's, um, it's a fraction of what we experienced right in the thick of that light. And so bringing a piece of that in is a beautiful gift to be able to do that. And I kind of went off the track there. But bring, <laughs> reel me back in, Trisha. I was going off the track. But it's just people do, it feels good to be around that. But it's important for us to remember, I'm the middleman here. I'm just bringing it in. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's so many healers out there and there's so many different energy practices. And so I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we're not alone with that. Neurodeath experiencers don't hold the market on it, but we just, those of us who have connected with that profound love, you know, we know what it's like. And we're like, that's what I just want to give to people. And if there's any way to give it, I want to do it. And so I know that probably many of us feel that way. And it's, um, it's a, it's a beautiful energy. It's a wonderful energy. It is. It's the best energy. And I remember early on when I was working on really focused on integrating my after effects, I was seeing um, a therapist who specialized with this type of work. She told me, she said, Jane, one day you're going to be able to fill up a whole room with that white light, a whole auditorium. And I went, wow, oh, I could do 
do that. And so I really meditated on it and focused on how to do that. And I do have a process where I do it now. And when I speak, that's what I'm doing. And before I speak, like with Brian's, I fill that room up with white light. And sometimes when I do speak, people will say, well, just from hearing you talk, I feel like I got a healing. <laughs> yes. Um, but with focus, we can do that and we can direct it. And um, that's amazing to be able to bring it forward in that way. Yeah. And that it's amazing that we're able to talk about this, you know, like considering the career that you had in real estate and, you know, I work as a professor two years ago, I wouldn't come forward and say this, but I felt this for probably two decades that, you know, as I'm teaching, there's always a chance that someone could be healed. It may not be all, all of them, but you know, there's always a chance that healing might just go through words to someone's heart and, and shift something and, you know, begin a healing process. I've always been hesitant about um, how much detail I would bring forward when I talk because it's not always well received. And um, I've done it enough times now where I have been very frank about my journey and I receive enough feedback from people who have said, thank you you brought me, you helped bring me out of a deep depression or an isolation. Just hearing you say that you experienced some of these things and now here you are talking about it and helping other people. And so enough of that positive feedback will help you to know that this is something we need to be out there talking about. And thank goodness for people like you, Trisha, who are doing these types of programs and bringing a lot of us together to speak about this. And it's so easily accessible to people who are seeking this kind of information because we do need to have a dialogue going um, because that's where healing seems to be occurring more rapidly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm thinking about a recent interview with Howard Storm and, you know, when he was in heaven talking with Jesus, he asked, well, how many of us are going to be down here? There's billions of people on the planet. And he was told millions. <laughs> and he said, That's not enough. <laughs> and so when anyone ever tries to shame a near-death experiencer for writing a book or speaking or, you know, making money through healing, I always think, God, they need to be doing more. <laughs> There's only millions of us, <laughs> you know. Right. We're spreading more and more light. Let's let's don't limit them. Let's let's uh, let's put them in many different places and and spread this light. Yes, yes. That's I think for me anyway. Um, that's why I came back was to well for my daughter and also to help heal others. And if I had to go out and work a regular 40 hour per week job, because I mean, I still have the responsibilities of being human. I still have a house and have to put food on the table. So in order to do that, if I had to go work a regular 40 hour a week job, I would do probably zero readings per month because I would be too tired to do it. So I understand why some people will say, well, why did you write a book to sell it? Or why do you charge for this healing work and that's where even compassion comes in and look at the other side of that of we feel very called to do it but also we still have responsibilities and things that we need to take care of too right and no one ever like jumps on someone who wrote you know a science fiction book <laughs> <laughs> they they just wanted to write it, you know, and if it's entertaining, great, you know, so on some level, I guess being, you know, like in the writing world, I'm kind of like, I'm going to write anyway. So, you know, I might as well write the thing that people have asked me to tell so many times, you know, like, that seems like to be the more important story. And a lot of people get to the end of their lives, and they're quite old, and they think, you know, maybe I'm just leaving this piece of writing for my kids and grandkids or posterity and it, it means nothing more than that and it you know there, there's where some compassion comes in too or 
maybe someone just wants to see if they can, you know, like, do I have this ability? And so, you know, and they're just exploring their abilities and that's fun and that's learning and that's growth. It's, there's a lot more unhealthy things that people could be doing. That's for darn sure. That's exactly right. We could be expressing it in other ways. Um, it's people who are talking about spirituality are held to a higher standard. And I do think that, that there's some fairness in that too. Um, we do have the responsibility of keeping up our spiritual practices so we can deliver a pure message or do a healing where we can take ourselves out of it. And um, we're speaking truth for the sake of speaking the truth, not for seeking, you know, I think you, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. We are held to a higher standard, and I think that's fair. It's just, look at it from everybody's side a little bit, too. Yeah, so my last question to you, and you can take as long as you want with this one, but if you had to, like, crystallize the strongest messages, you know, this many years after your near-death experience, what do you think are the biggest takeaways from that experience that you think help other people? Um, that's a good question. There's a lot I'm trying to think. Um, well, I think one of the most important things to know is that it's not scary to die. And, um, I think the process of leaving our bodies can be can vary greatly of, of how we each go through that process. I've seen a lot of different things happen um, in hospice care, how people will process death, that letting go process. But once you get there, there's nothing to be afraid of, and, and that's important for people to know. And um, important for people to know that this this lifetime is just kind of a blip on the radar it doesn't feel like it's a blip on the radar but it truly is and what we are here to do and so many NDEers will say this is we're here to heal and we're here to learn our soul lessons and so I so much encourage I encourage myself my friends my family clients, everyone that I talk to you of, try not to avoid healing. You know, it can be hard. Um, that's what you're here for. And, and do what you can to heal your traumas and wounds because you'll have that much more wholeness when you no longer have the limitations of this physical body. And really just the closer we can get to that vibration of that white light, the more joyful we will be because that vibration is so high. It's love and it's joy. And the more you can get square on your soul's path or your soul's purpose, the more fully you will be able to experience that in these bodies. And the only way to get on that path is to do some healing work and, and to have some type of practice where you can quiet the ego. And so that's as as you can be to heaven on earth is to be as on your soul's path as you can. Hmm. Beautifully said. Gosh, I love that. If I had editing capabilities, I'd cut out that part and then put that out there too, just for people. Maybe someday. That was beautiful, beautifully said, and and so important. And yeah, and hopefully, this is one of my big hopes, and I keep putting it out there almost in every video that healing will become faster for people, that there are so many different modalities and that it doesn't have to be, you know, you're working on this issue for 20 years that you can go in, get rapid eye release technique, EMDR, or something that gets rid of a trauma, puts it in long-term memory in one afternoon. And, you know, how much peace is that, you know, to finally deal with something? Yes, you don't have to be re-traumatized in order to heal the trauma. And a lot of times, the more we carry something with us, 
it almost becomes just um, dead weight or baggage that all you really need is some energy work to just peel it off and then it's done. And then that lightens you up so much where you can talk about the really big stuff or work on healing the really big stuff and it doesn't feel as hard because that extra weight you've been hauling around doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, wonderful. And the work that you do and so many people do, I really want to bring this to younger and younger generations. And that's my my next push is for college students to have this kind of information when they're coming right out of family systems and go, you know what, I'm going to release all this stuff and I'm going to create the life I want. Amen. <laughs> and go out and do it. <laughs> and and I, that's important work because they're our next leaders. So the more we can have them on board with this, and the beauty of being younger when you start the healing work is it is a little bit easier to just let something go. And the older we get, we we have a tendency to intellectualize it more. So for younger people, I think their process will be um, speedier. Yeah, I, I can... And that's my big hope. But anyway, thank you so much for telling your story on my channel and for the work that you do. And for those watching, please look for links to Jane Thompson's website and her free giveaway. And my book will be out in a month. I'm excited and scared. And, and uh, also there's going to be a near-death experience summit in June that I hope you will check out. So thank you, Jane, for joining me. Thank you, Trisha.